This is the Game of Life podcast, and I'm your host, Sophia Day. My guest this week is Dan Zach. Dan is a professional poker player, was 2022's World Series of Poker Player of the Year, and has won three WSOP bracelets. Dan and I talk through poker fundamentals, strategies, and what poker as a game is fundamentally about. We also talk about critical thinking and emotional regulation, skills that anyone can learn from poker. One day, maybe Dan and I can start a hedge fund together. Thank you so much to Dan's dad for connecting me to Dan, and that's a story for another time. Please enjoy my conversation with Dan Zapp. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you for having me. You were very young when you got into poker. So what's that story? How did you get exposed? And how did you decide to continue playing poker? I first got into poker with my parents playing penny poker at family reunions. For a long time, we had an annual family reunion that went back a few generations. It was like 100 or 200 family members that would gather in Maine every year, and there was always a raffle. The first year that I can remember in my memories this reunion happening, I won the raffle for the giant jar of pennies that then everyone, after the festivities were over, gathered and, and played penny poker together. So that was when I like first learned the rules and first was like, oh, this is a cool game. At the time, I was already really into games in general. As a kid, we grew up with a big closet full of board games that I would force my parents to play until they, you know, forcibly removed themselves from the situation. But the real launch point for more serious taking poker was 2003. I was 10 at the time, and I was a big sports fan growing up. And ESPN was what I always watched on television. I always watched Sports Center. I always watched baseball or basketball. And they started showing poker in 2003. And they started really showing poker. Like it was a point of emphasis in 2003. I'm sure there was a ton of money being pumped into it because legalized online poker was just kicking into form at the time. And a very famous thing happened in 2003, which is a man named Chris Moneymaker won the main event at the World Series. He was an accountant from Tennessee who clearly was not an experienced poker player. His last name was Moneymaker. He won a million dollars playing this tournament on TV against the clear poker professional whose name was Sammy Farha, who has like this giant cigar and is playing like the quintessential gambler. And it really kickstarted the movement in the United States at the time. It was It's known as the poker boom. And I probably am like the youngest person who got into it during that boom and stuck with it and I'm still playing poker now. Almost everyone younger than me, this is not a part of their poker story. But everyone who plays professional poker who's five to 10 years older than me, this is a huge part of their poker story. This was what really kickstarted the poker movement in the United States. And I was 10, I watched and I was like, I want to do that. that. That's what I want to do. And so when you were 10, did you think you could become a professional poker player? Yeah, I, I think I really <laughs> Wow, did. that's insane. I was pretty good at games and I'd also always wanted to be a professional sports player, but I think in the back of my head, I knew how unrealistic that was. Like, you know, I wanted to be a professional baseball player always growing up as a little kid, but I kind of knew somewhere in the back of my head, it's probably not in the cards. Like I'm not, my family's not super athletes and it's just exceptionally competitive and that's not really our strength. And so like, I was okay at baseball, but really to become a professional baseball player is just such a crazy dream. 
But this was like, oh, I really feel like this is within the realm of possibility. And they did a good job selling that on TV that, you know, if you're smart and you, you know, work hard, then this can be yours was really the message that was sent, which it's, it's a lot harder than that. And I probably should have been more skeptical and known that it would, it's just almost just as hard as, as doing professional baseball, like it is all the hurdles and how many people fail trying to make it happen. But for the first time, even when I was 10, it realistically felt like, oh, I really want to make that happen for myself. We're talking about age. Is it common for poker players to pick up poker at such a young age, like 10? Or are more poker professionals like older when they start? Definitely older. I like I'm the exception in the poker community. It's it's a wild story to tell almost everyone in the poker community as well. Like, I, oh yeah, I was playing at 10. So many of my my peers or people that are, you know, within a year or two of me in age have only been playing, you know, they most of them start when they're 21 when it's legal to gamble. And it'll it's a joke to me that, you know, they've all been playing for, you know, eight to 10 years or so. And I just laugh because I've been playing at this point for 20 years, at least like a reasonable amount of volume on a, on a yearly basis. So I just feel like such a, more of like a grizzled veteran than my age would suggest <laughs> all my peers are. I know you mentioned that in poker, you have to work very hard and you have to train, but do you think there's some sort of nature element? Are there some sorts of inclinations or ways of thinking that poker professionals or elite poker players fully have? Oh, for sure. There's a lot of intent this is part of like why it's so naive at 10 to just decide like this is what I'm going to do and how unrealistic of a goal that is there's there's so many intangible skills to making poker work as a full-time career that you really can't test for or know if you have until you're in the thick of things so when I first started having success especially once I started doing it full-time at like 21 22 and I like tried to bring my friends in who were smart and had played games with me growing up I just thought it would be easy because like it was, you know, it had come to me pretty well. And it was just like, oh, I can just throw in all these other smart people. In it. And I found out that I got super lucky with having some of these intangibles. So the ones that I always list that are most important, it, the, the most important one is long-term emotional control and acceptance. So being able to do the right thing, like no matter, everyone can study if you're smart and good at games, you can study and learn good strategy of poker. But Unlike any game that you've ever played before, the results of the game are directly measured in your income when you're doing it full-time. And so, and also more than most other games that game players play, there's a ton more variance. And so the results, while correlated to your skill level, are nowhere near as consistent predictor. Your skill is nowhere near as consistent a predictor of the outcome, at least in the short term, than almost any other game. And so... Needing to have the emotional ability to do the same thing, the right thing, over and over again, and be hit with weeks or months of feedback loops from that and just be like, yeah, but like that's part of this game and I'm just going to show up and play my A game tomorrow and not let it impact my strategy or my mindset or even for guys who are able to not have an impact their strategy or their mindset like not have an impact their life in a negative way where you just can't keep showing up because it's just too emotionally draining i had friends who were able to not get tilted in the way of like playing hands differently because things weren't going well but they would just run out of the motivation to show up at some point and it was just like you know 
it was just too draining. They started getting too depressed, even away from the, the tables in the game. Just to basically completely disconnect your life from the results and treat it as like this emotionless test of knowledge and skill at the table that you just accept the results in the short term being whatever they fall and view it as a long-term game it, it is so hard and is really not something that you can you get better at it and you can you can you can certainly train it but i think most people just can't get to a level where it works at a professional full-time job level it just i've watched it break so many people over the years who have tried to make this a profession and who definitely have the intelligence and the game skill to do it just haven't been able to weather the storm year over year of what multiple month long bad stretches can look like. It sounds grueling. Do you have you gotten better at emotional control and longevity? For sure. And like for better or for worse, I got a lot of practice with this because I started it and I definitely didn't have it then. And so my story is like pretty degenerate because. I'm a 10-year-old who's picked up a gambling game as his yeah. hobby and addiction, who's like occasionally stealing his parents' credit card for $30 to, to deposit money. And then just, you know, at the time, I think I was a winning player when I was playing my A-game, but, you know, I would run up 30 to a couple hundred or maybe a thousand, and then things would go bad for a couple of days and I'd lose, you know, a quarter of what I'd run up to, but I had no kind of control. And so it was like, oh, I have to win this back right now. And so you start increasing stakes and you start playing worse because you're chasing your losses. And this was like a pattern for me for, you know, probably almost a decade from like 10 to 20, where I was not a long-term winning player, even though I was good at games because I just had these emotional collapses when, when bad stretches hit. And luckily it wasn't for too much money because I just didn't have access to too much money. So I kind of got a decade of not free, but cheap learning experience that also weren't consequential earning years of life. So in that way, maybe I wasn't even the type of person who's supposed to make it. There are people who picked it up at 21 were much better at this than, than I was when I started. I just got this free 10 years of trial and error to work on myself and, and get better at this exact skill. I want to talk about poker 101. If I were an alien, how would you explain what poker is to me? Poker is a game. It's an incomplete information game, which means, so your podcast is, is about games in general. So I, I think viewers will be just familiar with different game strategies. Incomplete information games. So chess is, for example, a complete information game. You can see everything on the board. So your strategy has to be taking into account that everything is visible to your opponent as well as to you. Everything your opponent does is visible to you. Poker, your cards are hidden from your opponent. So it introduces a layer of strategy that doesn't exist in most board games, which is, it's called bluffing in poker, but you know, lying, where you have to sometimes take game actions that don't make sense in order to confuse your opponent and or build a strategy that's difficult to play against. I think that's what makes it so unique in the game landscape is there really aren't a ton of high level incomplete information games where this is part of the skill set of what makes a player, what distinguishes a good player from a bad player. What do you think the game is fundamentally about? Well, it's, it's really changed over the years. So when I started playing, the game was a lot about psychology. There was so much about what am I thinking that he's thinking that I'm thinking that he's thinking. It used to be called leveling wars was the term where like 
you want to be on the one level above your opponent. If your opponent thinks you won't bluff here, then you should bluff here because he's always going to fold. But if he thinks that you think that he thinks I'm bluffing here, then he's that was the leveling war. These days, as with many games and just fields of professions in general, computer strategies are starting to change how professionals treat the game. And so much less of study time for professional poker players these days is based around thinking about how others think about the game and is more of studying these new computer outputs, similar to how chess players now spend a lot of their time working with the engines and looking at the engine lines. And then really top poker professionals will look at this and now the new leveling war is, I know everyone is looking at these outputs, but these outputs are so complicated. Like poker outputs are so complicated, just like chess outputs are so complicated. No chess player can memorize chess. The computers still destroy humans, even though humans have access to the computers to study because the solutions are too brilliant and complicated to store in a human brain. And so a new part of that leveling work can be you do your best to study the solutions, but you know that you're not memorizing them perfectly. And so you can look for things where you're like the player population or other professionals really aren't implementing this part of the strategy well. And I know that from experience of playing with other players. And so now let me figure out how to take advantage using a computer or not of what I know is this like technical mistake that players are making. But that's so different now from 15 years ago, one of the biggest poker books that you would read was live tells, like how people handle themselves at the table. What does that mean? And people have gotten so much better in general at not giving off obvious tells as the game has been taken more seriously. And also there's so much more that we understand at the technical level of the game that there's a lot more energy and resources are spent towards studying that instead of this psychological aspect that it used to be. It's much less of like a Texas gambler, like a movie, the way that people think about poker in the movies, that was much more how it was 15 to 20 years ago than how it is today. So do you use solvers and poker software for training yourself? How necessary do you think they are as a tool? Because there are some poker players who've been around for a while. Bill Helmuth, I don't think he uses solvers very much. So what's yeah. your opinion about how necessary something like this is? And what is your incorporation of the tools into your workflow? Sure. So I definitely use them. I say this as someone who, again, started playing poker in an era where they didn't exist. And so it's been interesting to basically grow and evolve with the game and what's considered the highest level of strategies. Phil is someone who has been around a lot longer than I have. Phil started playing in I think the 1980s, because I think he won the 89 main event. I think that's the year that he, and I think he'd been playing a couple of years before then, but he's been around a long time. So Phil is someone who's had a lot of success for many years in the pre-solver era. And I think if you pulled most players who are succeeding at high stakes now, almost all at this point succeeding at the highest stakes use solvers to some extent. Now, how much they completely rely on solvers or doing the thing that I talk about where they look at the solvers to understand how people that fully study are thinking about the game, but then are more thinking about, okay, but my opponents aren't playing perfectly. And so I can still exploit them by finding the inefficiencies of where they're differing. And because when you differ, but you're trying to play a computer solution, you're creating like a pretty big hole in your game that can be taken advantage of by someone who's really sharp. Bill is like a different breed than any of those, but 
I, I think you'd find if you pulled again, if you pulled the high stakes poker community, there's a lot of people who are, who'd be very excited to play Phil at this point for a lot of money. Ah. Like Phil, Phil's had a lot of success for a long time and he has done really well financially. And he's, he's in a great spot where he can just kind of do whatever he wants these days. But I, I don't think he would be considered like a serious top level player anymore by anyone playing at the highest stakes anymore. You've mentioned a few different elements of poker, including even emotional regulation. If you were to break down the various aspects of poker, and this includes like the game mechanics, but also this energy management or psychology stuff, what would they be? And at the higher levels, as you go up, what areas become more and more important? I think almost everything becomes more <laughs> Just like, yeah everything all the things just get magnified and if you're struggling with any of them it, it gets you get exposed as you get to higher stakes because poker is a zero-sum game where i'll get to the question in a second i just want to finish this where poker is a zero-sum game and so all that matters is the the skill level of you relative to the skill level of your opponents not necessarily the stakes but the stakes usually correlate to that so no matter how much we're playing for if I play against the six six best players in the world at technical skill, I'm going to lose, no matter if we're playing for pennies or if we're playing for millions of dollars. But if I'm playing against the worst six players in the world, like you would beat all of them, no matter what, even though you barely know the rules. And so it's all about relative skill level, which is like the first aspect of poker, which is game selection. If you're trying to treat poker as a profession, you need to make sure that you are better at poker than the people that you're playing against. That's where income comes from. That's where your win rate or loss rate comes from. It's just a direct comparison of your skill level to whoever you happen to be playing against. And so that's a vital skill is self-evaluation and knowing what games you can beat and what games you need to avoid. And so that, that's like one of the first ones that everyone gets taught. Bankroll management is another really early one where, again, because you don't control the outcome as much as you want, Having an understanding of how much variance there is and whether or not you can afford to lose, what it, even if you're in a good game, you can still lose. And so you need to know, okay, this size game, and I'm approximately, you know, this much better than my opponents, what does a mathematically, you know, significantly likely downswing look like? And can I afford to weather that both emotionally, but also just like rawly financially? Because even if you're the best player in a game, if you can't afford to lose a normal amount in that game, you could end up going broke. And then it doesn't help that you're the best player in the game because you have no money to buy back in. So those, those are the two that I think everyone learns at the start when talking about poker as a profession. And then the one like we talked about earlier that you learn over time is, do I have the emotional stability and maturity to handle those downswings? So like, even if I have the money and even if I am the best player, can I actually show up on day 33 of a 32 day really bad stretch and just show up and play my A game and have it not affect how I play and also not affect my life to a way where I'm miserable and not able to keep doing this as a profession? Like, can I still be fun and friendly around my friends? Can I still eat healthily and wake up and live a healthy life? Because otherwise, like, you can't make it long term either, because you're just gonna kill yourself slowly through bad life decisions. And then there's, I mean, of course, the fourth one that needs to be said before those three is, is just raw skill level. You need to be a certain skill level to even have there be games that you can be. And then you want to constantly be working on that because the higher your skill level, 
the more games that you can beat and the less you have to worry about being picky with your game selection. So even though you should have game selection, it's really nice to be as skilled as possible so that you have less and less games that you have to be, oh, maybe I shouldn't play this game because I don't think I'm winning in it. What does it take to play at the professional level like you do in terms of studying, training, learning, competing? I think it's really hard at this point. I wouldn't recommend to anyone to pursue this. It it really helps that I've been playing for 20 years and I've probably played 10 million hands or more of poker at this point between live and online. And then add in, you know, thousands of hours of study, both pre-solvers and post-solvers, and then a huge network of other successful high-stakes poker players who I have to talk hands over with and to bounce ideas off of and to share reads on other players with. There's so much that goes into going from I haven't played poker before to I'm going to play poker successfully at reasonably high stakes. It used to be a lot easier because there were so many inexperienced players and so many soft games, meaning games that it doesn't take that much skill to beat, that you could get hands in and learn and progress through the stakes starting as a beginning player and just work your way up. But now, because it's been around for so long and the information of how to get better is so easily accessible, even mid-stakes games and some low-stakes games have reached the point where people are pretty well-informed and decent and like they still have their leaks, which is the reason they don't move up. And it's usually like emotional control or patience or a lot of silly things. But the games are not just like, you cannot just hop in as a beginner and be a winning player. You're going to get shredded. And so it's like the real question is, where are you going to get a couple hundred thousand hands of experience from in order to be able to start working your way up that totem pole? There's not a lot of great options other than losing your money. So you have to have a good amount of money to lose basically to invest in yourself because you can't play you can't play hands for free because no one's taking it seriously and so you don't simulate a real playing environment by doing that and so you kind of have to go play hands for money somewhere and the games are going to be so tough as a beginning player that it's going to be you're going to be getting killed and so one that's super demotivating if you spend 200,000 hands getting killed are you really excited to like continue going even if you are getting better like it's it's very demotivating if it just keeps getting negative feedback and there's no end in sight but also it's just like you're just going to be losing money for a while so i don't know it's really hard it would be really really hard to start now and i'd say the people who come up now and find success at higher stakes there are a few but they're all super smart super sharp. And a lot of them like spent a year or two basically just like studying computer outputs in their parents' basement because they had no money and they don't have access to anything else. If that was like your obsession is I want to make poker work, you can do it, but that's really what it seems to take. That's the guys who show up these days. It's funny because sometimes you get guys that show up that aren't like that with a crazy story and you're like, I don't know. And then they lose a bunch of money and it turns out they're just like blowing through a trust fund. And you're like, oh, that makes more sense as to where this money came from and why their story wasn't that they've been working their ass off in a basement somewhere for two years. Because there's there's just no other way to get good enough to actually be beating the games. Gotcha. It's, It's just so hard now. You mentioned a network of other poker players that you've learned from. Can you expand a little bit more about your relationship with other poker players who you compete with, but you probably learn and level up from? What are some of the things that you've learned? And are there any people that you think have very interesting styles or things you've gained a lot from? 
Over the years, my entire career, I've tried to reach out to people who are doing well in the games and talk about strategy and go over hands and talk about ideas of how to further study. It's always awkward because poker is a competitive game where you play against each other. And so especially like if you're in the same player pool and you're playing hands against each other constantly, it can be very strange to talk a lot of strategy. And so most of my career, I've spent it trying to do more of this with people who are outside of my exact game sphere. So like currently my closest friends who I go over hands with play in Arizona or play in Vegas while I'm playing in New Jersey. So like I find people outside of my exact network, but that I see every year at the World Series of Poker and we have liked each other and then we reach out and talk there and then we keep in touch throughout the year working on hands and, and doing stuff. So it's, but I've done it before with someone in the same player pool too. And you just, it, it requires both of you to be low ego, I think, because I, my experience with watching others who try to do this and have it fail is it's just too difficult for them to handle losing hands to each other when it feels like they gave something away through those conversations. But if you feel it's a fair exchange of information between the two of you, then like, yeah, you, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll know something or have an idea of what they're thinking about, but it's fair because like you've given it back to them and it's poker at the end of the day. And it's presumably you're playing in games with lots of other players where the reason the game is running is not either of you because you're both professionals and for poker games to run, you usually need non-professionals at the table because that's where profit is being generated from and you get caught in the crosshairs between each other from time to time, but it's fine. Like it's gambling and well, at the end of the day, it'll balance out over the long term. I, I think I've never struggled with that. And that is a hang up that some players have. And so they aren't able to do as much collaboration with people in the same player pool as themselves. Do you think it's a disadvantage to not be able to collaborate? Yes, a hundred percent. I think getting insights and being able to articulate your thoughts and get feedback, especially negative feedback on things that you say from someone that is also winning is really helpful towards being a more critical thinker and a more critical decision maker. It's so hard in any game to reach the top. Like I've played, you know, I've played a bunch of other games at a relatively high level and every one of them, the top players are all collaborating. It's unheard of in competitive game, I think, for someone to really reach the top just completely on their own. It's, there's too many sharp people collaborating. If you're not, you're just losing that human ability to bounce ideas off each other and to grow in your understanding by synthesizing different smart ways of, of looking at a strategy. Absolutely. I definitely agree. I've been working in the tech startup space for a while. It's unlike poker in that it's actually very positive sum because you're able to ideally create more and more value and expand the pie, but it can seem very competitive, especially because software gets easier and easier to build as time goes on. But you have a real advantage if you're actually bouncing off ideas and sharing things, because there's a lot of things that one just doesn't know. If you're starting a company for the first time, there's so many things that you don't know that, and, and you don't know what you don't know. So yeah, I really resonate with that. 
I want yeah, to definitely don't know what you don't know is like the best way to explain this concept. You have to be careful not to talk to people who aren't like winning successful players, just like in startups, like you have to make sure the people that you're collaborating with or learning from actually are competent and yes. are the people that you want to be learning from. But you don't know what you don't know is like such the exact way to explain why this is so important. You just sometimes need to hear a different perspective from someone who is also just doing things right, but in a different way. If you're trying to reach the top of a food chain where you really want to be the best of the best, the only way to get there. You were the 2022 World Series of Poker Player of the Year. Congratulations. Thanks. Are you happy? Thrilled. Yeah, no, it was a lifelong goal. So it was very, very exciting. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Why is that a lifelong goal of yours? And I've read that you've described it as being a quote unquote insane battle each year. Can you expand on that? The reason it's a lifetime goal is because I got into poker watching the World Series of Poker on TV. So 10-year-old me was like, wow, I'd love to win some bracelets at that and maybe win player of the year some year. Because like, For contextualization, was- is this like winning the Oscars or like winning the Super Bowl or what is it like? I wouldn't call it either of those. There's so many different goals of poker players in the poker because ultimately at the end of the day it's a game kept in dollars right dollars are the the scorekeeping of the game this is not the most efficient way to win dollars there's plenty of people who won more money playing poker than me last year okay so for me accolades have never been that important i mostly play cash games rather than tournaments tournaments are the public facing side of poker they're the ones that get media attention they're the ones that get coverage cash games are completely not seen by the public And most money in poker is won in cash games. Like that's where most of the money is moving. And that's where most professional players who win year in and year out are spending their time. So like the World Series of Poker is a tournament series. It's only tournaments. And it's the only tournaments I play. So it's seven weeks a year. I spend the other, you know, 45 weeks a year playing cash games. Whereas if accolades were all that I cared about in publicity, which is what a lot of people in poker do prefer to chasing the highest hourly they play tournaments year round. But, you know, for everyone winning the Oscars could mean just winning the most money they have. You know, in the movie industry, you can't silently be crushing it. You're, the whole industry is about seeking attention yes. and like the money is tied to the attention. Whereas many of the biggest winners in poker don't even play a single tournament on, on an annual basis. And so people outside of the high stakes poker community won't even know what their names are, but people in the high stakes community know that those guys are crushing. And so everyone in the poker community has extremely different goals and a different idea of like what a pinnacle of a career is or what a successful year is. And all of this is very different from player to player. You'd get very different answers. Can you explain what's involved in being a contender for player of the year and how is the winner determined? So the World Series of Poker is seven weeks long. It takes place in Las Vegas. There's a schedule of poker tournaments. What a and poker you're there tour- all the time for just seven weeks. I am. Anyone can come and go for any single tournament. You don't have to play one, play all. Like anyone can sign up for one or as many as they want. So the way a poker tournament works is there's a listed buy-in. The tournament uh, series, which is the World Series of Poker in this case, decides what the buy-in is. They create a schedule. They say, here's the schedule. On this date, these tournaments are running. On this date, these tournaments are running. In a tournament, they set a buy-in. Whoever wants to play pays the money. That's how you get into a tournament. There's no qualification. You don't have to be this good or not this good or whatever. Anyone with the money can play a poker tournament. And so the buy-in is whatever the buy-in is. Everyone that wants to enter puts up the buy-in. You receive a set number of chips. Everyone receives the same number of chips, betting units. And you simply play until one person has all of the chips. 
the way that you receive money for the tournament is you can never cash out the tournament chips. So usually what will happen at the World Series specifically, they'll pay the top 15%. So once 15% of the players that entered are left, so let's say it's a thousand person tournament, the 150th person that's left in the tournament will start receiving some amount of money, usually about two times the buy-in. So if it's a thousand player tournament and the buy-in was a thousand dollars, about $2,000 will go to the person who finishes 150th. And then it will slowly scale up from there until it has huge pay jumps at the very end where all the really big prizes are at the top. But it's basically a survival game. So you just try to last as long as possible. And obviously the easiest way to last, most people would think would just be, why don't you just fold every hand? But the way that tournaments work is every round in poker, there's blinds. So there's one person is a small blind and one person is a big blind. And that's forced money that you have to put in before the cards are dealt. And so every eight hands, you have to play one small blind and one big blind. And in order for a tournament to force action to happen, those blinds keep increasing, increasing. in size yeah, throughout the tournament. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's the incentive to play hands. And so that's that's what creates action. And then you just play until you're out of chips and until one person has acquired every single chip in the tournament. How many games are you playing each day or throughout? What does that look like across the seven weeks? So the World Series has usually two tournaments each day, but because it's not online, you can only play one of them, of course, until you're eliminated. And then you, if you were eliminated day one, you can go play the other one. Most poker tournaments take three days to play down to a single player. So whenever you're eliminated, you can hop into the next one, but sometimes you're eliminated in the first two hours and sometimes it takes you 36 hours to get eliminated. So you never know which tournaments you'll be able to play and which ones you won't when you're playing all of them like I do, because I'm just going to enter this one and play until I'm out of chips. And then I'll see registration is open for whatever the next tournament is. I'm going to hop into it. I read that there was a very large distance between you and the second place player. At what point did you know you were going to win? So the way points are awarded for player of the year is every tournament for those seven weeks awards player of the year points. And it's usually a thousand for first of any tournament, no matter how big or small the field. And then 500 points for second. And then it goes 454, 353, 252. And then once you get to 200, it's 200 all the way down. I guess I should start from the bottom. The first 50th, 50% of people paid outside of the final table. So we'll go back to our example of a thousand person tournament. The top 150 are paid. So the way that the scoring system works is it says, okay, the first nine get those numbers that we said, 1,554. Those are the first top nine spots. From 150th to halfway to nine. So that's 140 spots. So that's 70 spots. So from 80 to 150, you'll get 50 points. And then the next third, so that's like 80, 80th to 50th place, we'll get 100 points. So that's double. And then from 50th to 9th, we'll get 200. So that's that's the way they award points. And then from 8th will be 250, 7th will be 300, 6th will be 350, and then 1st will be 1,000. Every single tournament does that. And so you just have this seven weeks of tournaments. So seven weeks is 49 days and there's two tournaments a day. So there's approximately 100 events throughout the whole series. Pretty early on, I won two separate events and got third in another one. So that's 2,000 for the two wins and 450 for the third. So 2450 is like a crazy high number to have early uh, often the winner finishes with around 4,000, I believe, in past years. There was one year where Sean Deep had 5,000, some like absolutely crazy year. 
but other years the winners had somewhere between like 3,800 and 4,300 or something. And so just by getting lots of the min caches for the rest of the series, you know, I had lots of ones where, for example, in a thousand person tournament, I finished like 50th. I didn't have to win a bunch, but that's another 200 points that add up over the course of a hundred events. I got to a pretty comfortable lead. I did not have a full thousand point lead on second place guy. I was down the stretch, a huge favorite because, you know, he has to outright win a tournament to catch me. I was more than 500 points ahead of him, which is what second awards. He had to literally win one of the last tournaments and all these tournaments at the end were all, you know, over four or 500 players. And so even if you're the best poker player in the world playing a 500 person tournament, you might be one in 400 to win it. There's a lot of variance. Like I like uh, what you're talking about in poker. So like, it's not like chess where if you had a 500 person chess tournament, Magnus Carlsen is going to win it every single time. In poker, the best player, you know, only wins, a, you know, a fair share more than random, but not by that significant a number. So I was a huge favorite down the stretch and it's a big lead. And there was only one person who could even catch me with a win, but I still was sweating it with a Good. week left. That's important. Well, with a week left in the series, he final tabled an event and he actually played a pot for the chip lead with four players left. And I was there because I went to, to like watch it live and I was really sweating it. I think he would have been like 50% to win the tournament if he won that hand. It was oh, basically wow. at the start of when the cards were turned over. I think I was like 25% to fall out of the lead. I was very nervous given it, I was just supposed to be such a massive favorite. And the fact that he had gone the distance in this, I don't know, four or 500 person tournament and was down to the final four and was playing a tournament for the chip, the hand for the chip lead. I was like, oh my God, he really might do it to me. But luckily he's a guy I've been friends with for years. Had I lost it, it would have been to someone that would have been a friend and someone I wouldn't have felt too bad about. Respect for him going yeah. hard in the last yeah, inning. He, really, he chased it as hard as he could. People always do at the World Series. So not many people start out the series chasing player of the year. It's really only me, Bill Helmuth, Daniel Negreanu, Sean Deeb, Xiao Vieira. There's like seven or eight of us that are pretty much all in from the start. But every year... There's another 200 or so poker pros that if they win an event early, will join that chase and will then play all the events. Um, but they're not committing to playing all the events from the start. They'll just play what looks fun. And then if they win one and now they're, they have a huge lead because all the people who are chasing as hard as they can usually don't start with a win, you know, because it's really hard to win a tournament. Then they're like, oh, I'll commit to this. So most years, the winner is not one of the guys who starts the year chasing it. It's one of the guys who wins an early one and then pursues it full effort and full steam ahead. Yeah. Um, once they get the momentum or positive psychology, they're like, yes. I can try. I want to give it a go. Speaking of mindset, playing in tournaments sounds terrible. So are there strategies that are involved in managing yourself, whether it's survival and or emotional and energy management? I mean, the days are really long. So Cash games are games where you can leave whenever you want. And it's what most people experience when they go to a tournament or when they would go to a casino and play poker. Like you show up, you buy in for chips. The chips represent dollars. You can cash out the chips anytime that you want. Like you can just leave the table in between any hand. A tournament, you have to be there at a certain time. Like they're going to put your chips in whether or not uh, you're there. And so you, you better be there because they're going to put those blinds in for you until you run out of chips. And the days are really long. So... They're often 12-hour to 14-hour days at the World Series. You know, you start at 11 a.m. and you finish at 2 a.m. type stuff. And if you're playing the whole World Series schedule, which is what we're talking about, that means every day is like that for seven weeks straight, which is like an incredibly grueling grind. So I don't know. For me, 
I, I only do it, I don't know how people play tournaments year round. It seems literally insane to me. For seven weeks, I'm able to just lock into this, you know, almost like a warrior mindset of this is like my life. I am going to make it work. And like, I really want to compete. So I'm going to go out there and be focused and really try to stay as emotionally grounded and stable as possible. Because again, tournaments, unlike cash games, it's so hard. Sorry. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's so hard to win. So you don't get, you don't get positive reinforcement that much. Yeah. When you play cash games, you win like more days than you lose because there's only two results. Like you win, you net positive gain chips or you lose chips. And if you're a winning player, you're going to net chips more often than you lose chips. In a tournament, you basically have to, a min cash is you profit, but you're just going to lose the next tournament most of the time because they only pay the top 15%. So like to actually win for the summer, for the whole series, you basically have to win one of these tournaments. So you're going to have to win a 400 person tournament at some point. And it just feels so hopeless at the start of any tournament. Like even if things are going great and you've made it through 80% of the field, it's like, there's still 50 people here. Even if you're second in chips with 50 players left, like maybe you're 10% to win the tournament at this point. And you can miss 10% 70 times in a row. It's not like that great. Like it's just, they're so, so hard to win. Just trying, it goes back to those intangibles, talking about it helps to have have those is just being able to treat each day as not being too personally invested in your own results and just being like, I am here to make good decisions and play a good strategy. And for me, it helps to be like, I'm going to try to like talk to people and have a good time and have a good day and not try to take myself too seriously outside of playing the hands themselves because it's seven week grind. And if you just like put on headphones and sunglasses and don't talk to anyone for seven weeks, like you're going to be so miserable, even if things go well, and then you're going to be so miserable if things go poorly and you, you can't control that outcome. And so just trying to like enjoy it as it comes and take the hands seriously, take the decision points seriously, but be as chill as possible outside of that is as worked well for me in terms of just not burning out too much while there. I want to ask some questions about the game more holistically and what people, even if they don't play poker, what they can learn from poker. First question is in terms of learning, how do you approach improvement in poker? Are there areas that you've been weak at and you just target them? Do you play further into your strengths? How do you prioritize those strategies? And how do you even think about things like experimentation? So for me, again, 20 years into playing poker. You have no flaws. No, I definitely, that's definitely not the case. It's an impossible game to play perfectly, like truly impossible. Even with computer solutions, they're so complicated and so unintuitive and so see like a lot of it looks random because that's what a computer strategy to an incomplete information, like that's how bluffing works. But it's not random. That's the key. But it looks random to a, to a human eye. So it's so, so hard. And it's impossible to play perfectly. Uh, I have plenty of problems and leaks that I, I work on constantly. But like, for me, I don't know how relatable improvement looks because it's, it's such a crazy difference between if you're just trying to improve at games in general and you're just a casual game player, even experienced game player versus you are on our 35,000 of a game and you're trying to find ways to improve is a very different process. For me these days, it's, you know, depends exactly which form of poker. Most people are familiar with Hold'em, but I, I play 30 or 40 different variants of poker at this point. For example, both of the bracelets I won this year were in non-Hold'em variants. They were in seven card stud high-low and Omaha eight or better. 
a lot of it's cycling through games and refreshing things that I've forgotten that I knew at some point because it's hard to store the nuances of 40 different games in your brain simultaneously. And so cycling back through games that keep notes. Some of these games have computer outputs. And so, you know, studying computer outputs and, and looking them over or maybe finding a friend who's currently working on this game and, and going over it with them. Or some of the games are at the level where no one has created a solver output for it yet because the game tree is too big. And so those games are more like the old school games, which is kind of cool. So then finding friends who are currently working on those games and we're doing either pen and paper math or just talking intuitively together about how to handle different spots strategically in the old school way of like, what do we think people are doing in this spot that's, you know, exploitable and what are we going to do to take advantage of them and how to play better? It's usually group work for me these days because I find I get too quickly uh, lose focus nowadays. I, I used to be a lot more motivated. You lose hunger, you know, 20 years into these things and you've had success and you, you're not as like financially desperate to make it work anymore. I used to be able to just spend, you know, weeks writing hundreds of hundreds of pages in a notebook of math to, mm. to try to solve like a game that a solver didn't exist for by pen and paper. I don't have that anymore in me, which is probably good. It was like really unhealthy for my, like literally would stay up all night, like writing. Like, I, I, I used to have these dozens of notebooks that are just full of, of math for trying to solve these games. Yeah, these days it's mostly like talking over with other very good players, whether it be studying computer outputs or just talking generalized strategy or just going over old notes and trying to refresh on a game that I haven't played seriously in a while, but for whatever reason I'm planning to play. Desperation is an incredible driver, but I think what anyone can take away is still that you're still trying to learn and improve and figuring out where, as you call it, there are leaks. So I think that's very relatable. For sure. As soon as you stop trying to improve, especially in as competitive and as zero sum a game as poker is, like you're going to get passed by. Every year I watch that happen to new members of an old guard. They get complacent. And if you get complacent for too long, it's just too competitive. There's a lot of money at stake. People are trying. And if you're not keeping active, it's just not going to work for you. You actually play, what is it, 40 variants, 30, 40 variants poker? I would guess I could list more that I've played for money, like at significant stakes at some point. But a lot of them are like small tweaks on each other. Gotcha. Yeah. Is it helpful playing variants of poker? And if so, what does that do or contribute to your thinking or gameplay? Well, helpful is an interesting... What, what is... Define helpful. Oh, sorry. Is it helpful? Right. Def, what... Define what... Define oh, oh you, so you did hear correctly. Does it benefit you in any way to be playing? Or is this just like for money? Or does it actually like spur new ways of thinking about and improving you overall? I'll answer it in a couple different Okay. Versions. I got into different games because of money. At the casino when I was 22, the Hold'em game was all a bunch of young kids who looked really smart and they all studied. The mixed game table, there was three times as much money on the table and it was like three old men falling asleep and two guys that were middle-aged and looked like they'd never touched a calculator. And I was like, hmm, there's a lot more money over there and they really, really don't look as smart. So I'm going to go over there and I don't know how to play, but I'll bet I can figure it out. I don't have to get as good as I am at Hold'em. I just have to get better than these guys because it's a it's just a comparative skill game. 
after doing that, I fell in love with the games. I find that it's a lot easier to not burn out if you're playing a, a wide mix of games because there's more to do with your brain. The guys who just play Hold'em, you just get the same spots and the same things to talk about over and over again. And yeah, you can keep studying them and getting better at them. And again, it's even when you just play Hold'em, it's impossible to play perfectly. There is always more that you can improve on. I mean, these are all grinds, but it's just the grindiest of the grinds where it's like such intricacies and nuances just over and over again with tiny tweaks to them. And it can be a little bit more engaging and just easier to feel like you're doing something different when you have these 30 games to cycle through where, oh, like I'm bored of looking at this type of game. Let me look at something that's really different in terms of what types of brain muscles it feels like it fires from a strategical sense. You know, it's, it can feel as big as changing from like playing competitive chess to playing competitive Hearthstone, for example. They're both strategy games at their core that are just trying to make optimized decisions, but they're really different brain cells to fire. And to be able to pivot between those feels a lot nicer as a way to change things up, but still be doing work. Sometimes I even struggle with, you know, it's just like I'm done with poker for a couple months and I just have to really just go do something else because I'm that burned out. But it helps me burn out less because I can pivot instead of from poker to not poker, I can pivot from this type of poker to that type of poker. And that's very, very helpful for getting more hours in on an annual basis and feeling less bored after 20 years of doing the same thing. I read Annie Duke's Thinking in Bets and actually had a really big impact on how I think about things. One of the things I constantly think about is separating out the process from the outcome. Um, often we do in companies postmortems, oh, something went wrong. And then you go through the whole process of what went wrong. But actually there's a lot of times, I'm sure you know this, often there's great outcomes you got, but how you got there was like pretty poor and there was luck involved. And that was like one of the biggest takeaways I got from that book and has helped me clarify how I think and approach things. What are some lessons that you feel that poker can teach about decision-making or critical thinking and judgment. Yeah, so that's that's the results oriented is the is the term used and it's, it's a really helpful one. So I want to backtrack to when I said no one should try to play poker. When I say that, I mean as a profession. I think poker is a great game to teach lessons as like a thing to pick up as a hobby as long as you're not just trying to make it your full time job. I think it does teach a lot of really good ways to think about decision making and to think about process and to think about how to analyze results in the scope of a uh, process. So I think what she's talking about in that book is, is excellent. Like being okay with the conclusion that, oh, we actually did things right and yes. it just didn't work out, but that that was part of the range of possibilities. We didn't think this was a guarantee. We just thought it was a good bet. And like, these are the reasons why at the time we thought it was a good bet. If we accounted for this being a possible run out, of what could happen and you know we just got unlucky and that's the run out that came like that's okay we were okay with the process that we went through or doing postmortems even like you said when things go well but not for the reasons we thought and like we totally missed that this was what could have happened and our process could be improved because we really need to have this in our analysis like the results should not dictate whether or not the decision making process was flawed or not obviously they're correlated and more often than not when things go wrong there were probably it was a bad process or like more often when things go right like there was a good process that's not how it works in terms of that's not the final say you need to be separated from the results in your analysis of your decision making process are there so, any other things that you think that poker can teach you about decision making or analysis or 
Yes. I think it teaches being at peace with things out of your control and just handling things that are in your control. So one thing people talk about in life often is that they want to not worry about the things that they can't control. I want to put my energy only into things that I have authority over or things that I have uh, control over and not get too worked up or emotionally distraught about things that I have no control over. And I think poker players learn that skill over time is I have this decision-making process and ultimately like things hopefully work out long-term, but certainly in the short term, it just doesn't matter. I know that my process is fine and I'm just at peace. If I lose, I lose today and it's okay. And I can't, I'm not going to get upset about it because that's just a part of how life works is everything can't always go right, but that doesn't necessarily mean I need to beat myself up or be too upset about things going poorly. So I, th I think you learn a lot of resilience in general is, is a skill and, and patience as well. Resilience and patience are two things that I think strong, long time successful poker players have more commonly than the non-poker player. It's just traits that you find. It's it's not 100%. There are people that succeed at poker at the top levels that still struggle with these things, but it, it's very correlated towards success and is probably a thing that's learned over time from playing poker hands. You won WSOP Player of the Year. Are there any goals that you have left for poker? Love to win it again. <laughs> yes, there we go. Uh, but, 2023? Yeah, That'd be awesome. I, mean, I don't have many years left because I'm engaged. I'm getting married this year. Ooh, exciting. Starting a family at some point and you don't get seven weeks to just leave and go play seven weeks of all day poker tournaments once you have kids. I have a couple more years left of trying to win it again, but no, no goal like how that felt before. Again, it's been, it's been 20 years of playing poker at some volume and 10 years of playing it as the full-time profession. And I worked really, really hard early in my twenties so that I wouldn't have to work as hard at this point. And I am grateful, I guess, to myself for that. These pros and cons of working your entire 20s, working yourself to death in your 20s too, of missed experiences then. But it's very nice to have now. Nothing long-term anymore. I'm very satisfied with how my poker career has gone. and There's nothing left that I need to accomplish. Has anyone won Player of the Year in consecutive years? No, only one person's even won it twice. <gasps> um, so. That needs to be the goal then. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll be trying. It's hard. I'd guess start of year, I'm something like if there was a betting market, like seven to 10% to win it or something like that. So it's not impossible, yeah. but it's, it's hard. Again, talking about worrying about things you can control, mm -hmm. like I'm going to go there and try my hardest, but at the end of the day, like there's nothing I can do beyond that seven to 10%. That's, that's the odds probably it will, or it won't. And I, I don't have that much. Oh uh, man, but I'm rooting for you. I think that'd be awesome if you got to win it twice or yeah. three times. Who, who the yeah, F knows? Back to back, back. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Why stop there? 7%. Those are okay though. It's not zero. It's not like no, 1%. It's, mm -hmm. it's definitely, it's definitely significantly better than 1%. It'll be a battle again and it'll be fun. Hopefully I run good and the important situations like I did like I did last year but I'll be all right either way however it goes I've noticed a lot of poker pros when they start winding down they start side businesses or do other things but many of them don't escape poker in some form so for you do you think there's life after poker or do you think poker is inseparable I think there's two types of people who get into poker I think there's people who get into poker as a uh, 
means to an end for money who like don't love poker for what poker is, but just view it as like an efficient way to make money. And I think those people are the more likely ones once they have access to money to try to scale and are usually more organized and are usually more transferable skills to the business world. I'm more in the camp of people who get into poker, both out of a love for poker, but out of a love for the lifestyle of poker. One of the reasons that poker really made sense to me as a kid and made more sense as I grew up was that I really struggled with structures, like going to school every day, showing up on time. And poker was this solution where it was like, if you work hard, but at your own pace, which is exactly how I am good at working hard. I'm not not a hard worker. I want to spend three months working 20 hours a day and then spend two weeks sleeping. That's for me how I get work done. And that doesn't fit into the mold of a business. It doesn't fit into the mold of like a normal corporate job. I don't think I'll end up doing anything else. Probably I've, I've thought about it over the years. Like I took some interviews at hedge funds in the last couple of years. <laughs> you did? No way. That's so funny you say that because I actually find the hedge fund thinking and poker thinking to be very, very similar. What we were talking about with thinking in bets, that whole book, I have this book with me, Principles by Ray Dalio, who founded one of the biggest hedge funds in the world. Yep. There's a lot of similarities. They're both books I go back to and think they love so. they love to hire successful poker players. The hit rate isn't super high because of exactly what I'm talking about. But like when they do hit the people that have the mindset to win at high stakes poker, but also the discipline to succeed in a corporate workplace, yes. that's who you want. To name some like hedge funds that hire a lot of poker players, like SIG hires a lot of poker players, Jane Street hires a lot of poker players, Caption Partners hires a lot of poker players. Like there are hedge funds that are known for just like swooping poker players with basically no business background and no educational background and being like, come work for us for a couple of years, we'll gamble on you because they've had enough home runs from that, that they can weather the storm of who cares, like starting salary is not a big deal to them to just like burn every once in a while on people who end up not making it. That was like my thought of like, that seems the most transferable for what poker skills can do. I don't think it's built for me. Like yeah, I really- corporate environment is corporate. I really want it to be a thing that like I could do because I'm worried that I'm going to get bored. I just know at some point I'm just going to be like, I don't want to work for three months. That's just always been how I've been in my life. And that just doesn't work. You can't just be at a company and just be like, hey, I'm taking three months off every year. But I can't tell you which three months and when it will start. It will just suddenly be a three month period where I don't really want to leave the house and you're just going to have to deal with it. That doesn't fly. Oh, um, it's going to be hard for you because I even, and I've been working in Star when I've joined, they've been like pretty early stage. So they're very unstructured, but you're still going in there and it's a grind. Even like I can't function, I think, in these larger corporate environments. So I yeah. think you will have difficulty. I think yeah. I'm less extreme probably than you. It's hard to be as extreme as I was. But the good thing about it for me is that I know myself and I don't need it. I was thinking about that as I need something to keep me busy at some point once we start having kids. I can't just do nothing. But I think like I can easily just continue playing some amount of online poker and going to the casino and like just being happy with that. And it's just becomes more and more of a part-time job and less and less of a full-time job. I think it's easy enough with the way that I feel about the game to, to keep up at the level where you're still making a living from it or not making a living even at that point, but making, being a winning player, putting in profitable hours whenever you go and not needing anything more than that.
But I think that is why so many people get stuck in poker is there that is a very common personality that gravitates towards poker is and succeeds at poker is very smart, but very much not built for the lifestyle that is normal jobs. Those people really disproportionately end up in poker and this really freedom seeking, independence yes. seeking without the boundaries. I want to do a quick fire round and it's a react your reactions to a few quotes. The first is from Phil Ivey. By the way, I don't even know if they actually said these things. I just pulled from some online things. So I'm sorry if they actually weren't attributed to any of these people. We'll see. We'll see. We'll We'll see. see. Okay. So the first is from Phil Ivey. I like it when I lose so much money, I can barely breathe. That's the feeling I go for. I'm addicted to that feeling. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, that sounds like Phil. That's good. So it's interesting. Phil's always been like that, is my understanding. I've only known him for so many years, but my understanding is he's always been like that. And I I think he still has that vibe. When I was really younger, I really loved the swings. For better or for worse, people who love the swings typically do better long-term in poker because it means that you get less emotionally distraught when things go poorly. It it usually correlates to what we were talking about earlier, which is that emotional stability of when things are going poorly, still being able to show up and play your A game. I don't think like he truly means he like loves losing, but it's more like it's a part of the cycle that he is okay with. The ups and the downs are just a part of the experience that he's addicted to. It wouldn't be as fun for him if it was just always a consistent salary. Like one of the things I used to quiz friends with when I was, you know, 22, 23 was, let's say your hourly in poker is $350 is what you're earning an hour. The question was like, would you rather be paid $350 every hour you sat at the poker table? Or would you rather get it at X standard deviation or Y standard deviation? Because like a $350 hourly will usually come with a standard deviation of like $3,000 an hour or something like that. But then in some games, that hourly might come with a standard deviation of like $6,000 an hour. So for people, standard deviation means, what is it? One standard deviation, two thirds of all hours fall within that. And then two standard deviations is like 95% of all hours come within that. You're making $3,000 an hour on average, but like 5% of hours, that would mean at 6,000 standard deviation, that would mean 5% of hours you win or lose more than $12,000 in an hour, despite the fact that your average return is only $350. So that's 45x your hourly in one hour, either in the positive or negative direction is one out of every 20 hours. I think you'll get a wide range of answers from poker players as to how big of a standard deviation they would prefer to proportional to their hourly. Like, I think Phil is one of those guys that like, if you told him your hourly, you know, his hourly back in the day was a lot more than $400 an hour, but whatever, like if his hourly was like 2K and you were like, Phil, what standard deviation would you enjoy knowing that your actual hourly is 2K? He might say 200K. As long as that's the, as long as he's winning long-term, like he would like the swings to be as ridiculous as possible in the short term. And again, I think that correlates to success. I think people who want a bigger number in that standard deviation are often the people who end up being more resilient long-term in the poker world. If you kept asking me that question every year since I was 21 and did this professionally, I think my number has gotten smaller every year, but I think my number was really high when I was 21 and would still be uncomfortably high for anyone outside of the gambling world, but is probably more of like a normal number within the gambling world at this point, where I think I was an outlier at 21. And I think Phil is probably, despite, he's probably almost 40 now. Phil is probably still an outlier. Phil loves it. Fun fact, what's the most money you've lost in a game? 
in like a single day. Yeah. 500K, I think. That's a lot of money. Yeah. It's bad. <laughs> I went back to the hotel room and just stared at the ceiling for approximately like 14 hours straight. Afterwards. So you you do feel emotional well, when you do lose. The biggest day ever is usually, when you ask poker players about their biggest day ever, it is usually like disproportional because there's usually like, there's a reason that it was so big. So like that game was so big because there was a guy who like really didn't know the rules to the game. So like we raised money and it was like, we're going to go play like really big in this one spot. And you know, that's happened to me a dozen times. Sometimes it's worked out super well. Sometimes you basically break even, but then there's going to be that one freak outlier where like everything went wrong and you just lost every hand anyway. And it was a disproportionately big game to what you normally play. And so everything went wrong and it was like so much bigger than I usually play that 500 ended up being the number that was brutal. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of money. The other quote I want to get your reaction to is from Phil Hellmuth. And we've kind of touched around these topics of this era of poker and what's involved, but I'm still curious. He says, no matter how much you may want to think of Hold'em as a card game played by people, in many respects, it is even more valid to think of it as a game about people that happens to be played with cards. What are your thoughts? Well, that sounds way too articulate. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, not the right attribution. <laughs> yeah. So... Anyway, you know him, by the way. Have you met him? Yeah, I mean, we we play okay. every every year at the World Series. This you year, think he's going to be tilted because I'm probably not going to edit this out, right? We have this conversation. Do you think he's we'll going to be, be tilted if like he's this conversation? We'll be fine. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, this year my main experience with him was we went deep in the event. I got third in at the World Series. I think he got like 11, but he ran like a big bluff against me with 12 or 13 players left, and I called him, and he lost the hand. And he was really upset I had called. And then he didn't drop it for the entire summer. So like every time I saw him, which is dozens of times for the remainder of the World Series, he just brought up this hand and how like bad I played the hand and how lucky I was that he was bluffing for for just like a month straight. So that's uh, insane. Like we didn't even have a normal interaction. For, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, how can you? It was just talk? about this one hand. That's that's Phil in a nutshell. Anyway, this <laughs> quote, though, whether it's Phil's or not, is is in general how Phil thinks about poker. Like we talked about earlier, where Phil is not a solver guy. Yeah. Phil is a reads guy. Phil is a vibes guy clearly was amazing at it for years and honestly given his level of you know he's not like crushing these days but he's not like getting killed the way you would expect almost everyone else who doesn't lucky at all to like he's clearly very gifted at this aspect of poker which is becoming more and more archaic these days but there are still guys who rely on it there are a few who still do really well at high stakes i wouldn't necessarily put phil on that list but there are like guys who play the highest stakes cash games who clearly have worse fundamentals than everyone else who's being in the game, but are doing something in the realm of live reads and vibes and exploits that are working because they're still making money every year and doing well in, in lineups that should be they shouldn't be winning in just based on their technical skill. But yeah, it's the romanticized version of poker. It's what poker was up until seven years ago. 
it's still what poker is everywhere outside of the highest stakes of organized public poker games. Like every home game, that's what poker is. No one's studying solvers outside of 500 nerds that play pretty high stakes poker in, in the biggest tournaments and cash games. That's not what most people's interaction with poker is. Most people's interaction with poker is exactly what Phil's talking about. You get to sit at a table, you get to play this game, no one really knows the math or fundamentals of the game. And so ultimately you're just like looking at the guy and you're like, is this guy bluffing or is this guy have it? Like, is this guy capable of, of, of bluffing me here? Is, does he look scared? Does he, it's like, is he even capable? Is that how he thinks about games that he wants to try to steal from me with a bluff? That's what makes poker such a beautiful game. And I think solvers in a way have taken away from that. So like, I wish this quote was as true as it was seven or eight years ago. I miss those days. Like I miss not having to look at computer outputs to feel like I'm doing my job. It's taken a lot of the love away from the game and made it much more, you know, I, I pursued poker because it wasn't school and it was like, it was like, let's be smart and intuitional. And because it's my job and I want to make money and like not live on the street, I'm like, oh, I should probably study these computer outputs because they're really good. And that's how I make more money. It's a great quote. It's exactly what poker should be. It's exactly what poker was. And for almost everyone listening, when you go play poker, if you go play low stakes at a casino or if you organize a home game with your friends, like that is what poker is. It's a game about people. It's not a game about math. Two final questions I ask every guest on the show. The first is your recommendations for games. It can be any games. And then the sub question, because you're here, is could you also recommend something poker related? My favorite games are Sporkle is okay. a really learned game. I think it won best game of the year a number of years ago. I don't know if you've heard of it before. Oh, no, 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 not Sporkle. Sporkle like is that's the a quiz game. Quiz mm -hmm. Splendor. Splendor. Oh, that I have not heard of. What is Splendor? Uh, it's like a resource management game where you, every turn, either collect colored chips or use the colored chips to buy face-up cards on the board and you're trying to accrue a certain number of points. I don't know why I said Sporkle. Um, yeah, I was anyway. like, oh, I've heard of it, but I was like, wow, no, you no, really like trivia. <laughs> I do really like trivia, which is why it's on my mind. We went to trivia last night, and I've been on Sporkle this week trying to memorize all the countries in the world again, because it keeps coming up, and I used to know them, and I don't, and like, they asked to name all the countries that border Germany, and we got one wrong, and I was upset. And so Sporkle. Splendor. Splendor is a great game. It's a resource management game. I think it won game of the year in like 2016 or something like that. It's not hard to find. It's in every board game cafe. Target used to carry it. I don't know if they do anymore, but I like it because I love resource management games, but I hate trading. So like other resource management games are like Settlers of Catan, which is one everyone's familiar with, but I really don't like trading because I, I feel weird making bad trades with other players and other people don't, but it's in like multiplayer games. If player B trades with player C and rips him off, like that message, that screws me over too. And I get very frustrated. I like less interactive uh, resource management games, more puzzling, less interaction between players and negotiation. I don't like negotiation games. What else do I like? We always like set here. My I fiance. Love set. That's just like a good quick game. I play uh, set every day. There's an online daily. So oh, is there? Yeah. And I play. Yeah. It's part of my Can you routine. play like multiplayer? No, you can't. So oh. it's like a little bit more of just like a, oh, every day, get your It's seats. like training. It's like mm -hmm. your Wordle or Wordle. Yeah. Yes. It's, I, it's funny that you mentioned it because I play every day, I play Wordle, the New York Times mini, and then I play a set game. Nice. It's a good little just, trio. Like, yeah. 
We do Wordle, Quirtle, and Symantle here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, uh, so you like set the multiplayer, like using physical cards. Yeah, we often, it's like a family game that I grew up playing. And my fiance and I play it sometimes, but like always on family vacations with her family, like it's a gather round and everyone screams set at the same time and <laughs> argue about who said set first. I grew up playing it with my grandparents. And it's a competitive game. And I've always liked it. I really like online leaderboard strategy games. Like I've been very into team fight tactics tactics recently okay like riots auto battler game where i've been trying to climb to the higher ranks i have a couple of friends in the top 300 globally that i'm pushing to reach there but this is this is what's happening after poker yeah we, we, I, we well, now I was, know i did it with hearthstone for a while too where i was probably in the top two or three hundred globally but that's what I like to do. Like what? I've always Wait, I did not know that about you. That's crazy. Yeah, I love strategy games. When I'm burned out of poker, like that's still what I want to do. It's just I'm tired of the poker specifically in the stress sometimes from the money and whatnot. But I always want to be playing competitive games. And the more competitive and the larger a player pool is and the more clear ranking system is, usually the more I like a game. I was a competitive chess player for a bit in high school as well. I wasn't like amazing, but you know, 1500 is about as good as you can get without like really taking it seriously to the next level, which is about where I ran out of steam where you have to like hire a coach and that's, <laughs> this is too much for me. Yeah, that's, that, those are the types of games. I okay, love. cool. So <laughs> you recommended Splendid, Set, and TFT. What is something poker related that you would recommend? I would recommend looking up the rules if you're just looking for an easy poker game to play. Open face Chinese pineapple poker. I won't explain the rules because it will take too long, but it's it's not that complicated to learn. It doesn't require betting or bluffing, which is the holdup for most poker games for people. And it's quite addicting and fun. So it's a really easy game to just have a deck of cards and to play with a friend. You can play with up to three players, two or three. It's just a fun game and it teaches poker hand rankings and it teaches some sort some critical thinking skills. It's a fun gambling game if you want to bet on it or just keep score. The scoring system is fun and quite tricky, but it's it's not hard to learn. And it was extremely popular for a number of years in the poker community. It was like, holy cow, this is such a good gambling game that everyone really loved. But you you don't have to gamble for it to be a great game. And then final question, if you zoom out and you play more games than I thought, so that's cool. What is your reflection on the metaphor of life is a game? There's lots of lessons that games teach you that some that we've talked about and some that we haven't that can be applied to life. Unfortunately, a lot of, for me, the experience of trying to get good at games has been to shut out emotions, which is not what you want to do in life at all. And it's actually been a thing that I've had to unlearn over the years is to, to reaccess emotions where poker teaches you that emotions are bad and you should ignore them and push them to the side. But if you can extract all the critical thinking skills that games teach, and especially pursuit of games at a higher level can teach, while finding a way to not get so wrapped into that, that you ignore the human side of things. I think you can become a more balanced and more productive person in life. It's just, you just have to really be careful with the, the whole balancing thing. There's a lot of people who have lost their way, uh, poker professionals specifically, with starting to view everything as transactional. But the ones who don't but do take away the critical thinking skills and the things of like results-oriented thinking and all of this from games become some of the best and, and brightest people I know who are excellent critical thinkers and great minds, but who are also great people. And, and, and Yeah, uh, that matters. Um, that matters in life. Totally. We're around the same age and 
I think as I've gotten older, I have embraced more of the just being human. That's a very unique thing. We've evolved centuries and there's just things like emotions, the humanity of it all that really matter. Relationships and doing the best that you can, being a good person matters a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of the life lessons that you can get from games have to be separated from that's the important thing that you don't get from games that you should really make sure that you incorporate into the stuff that you're taking away from games because that's the danger for me for games and for many people that I've seen at, that play games at a high level is they start to gamify life too much and, and lose sight of the humanity of everything and that's so important. Absolutely. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. I really enjoyed our conversation. And thanks for being such a clear explainer of the poker world and different concepts and strategies. Of course. Thanks for having me, Sophia.